Hey guys, this is the third episode in the Hear Me Out mini-series highlighting the voice of persons with special needs. Thank you for continuing to listen. Hey friends, thank you so much for stopping by to listen. This is the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast where we highlight Afrocentric experience with the goal of provoking deeper thinking, shifting mindsets, and inspiring change for better living. I'm your host EJ and I am looking forward to sharing stories together that will inspire you. I would love to hear from you. So follow me on social media at Unreal Talk Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. You can listen wherever you get podcasts, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major listening platforms. The podcast is also on YouTube, so make sure you stop by, subscribe, and check it out. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you continue to do what is right and kind. talking about it with a person who is living with cerebral palsy to help us understand this disability and how to support persons with cerebral palsy and anybody else who may have disability or supporting others with special needs. So with me today is Carlos. Welcome Carlos to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm really great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So Carlos, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you wanted to come on board to talk about cerebral palsy today. As, uh, as you said, my name is Carlos. Um, I was born in Mexico, uh, Monterrey, Mexico. So I've been I've been actually in Canada for about 17 years now. Oh, I came wow. into to Canada when, when I was 19 years old. And uh, I wanted to kind of have a better kind of independence life. I did have some independence because actually my parents were really good at giving me that independence, giving me that, uh, you know, losing the reins a little bit mm. to kind of have that independence. So I decided to come to Canada to, to go to study, to university and, and to have a better life, right? So, and once Absolutely. I go, once I went to university, I, I kind of wanted to, I realized that my story, as, as many other people's stories, was absolutely amazing. Uh, and I wanted to be an inspiration for other people to share their stories. So many people out there haven't really realized what cerebral palsy is. So I wanted really to apply that into my story for people to, to be able to understand a little better of what cerebral palsy is, that cerebral palsy is not as bad as people may think. Yes. Uh, you can still live with cerebral palsy. You can still have a wonderful life with cerebral palsy. Uh, thankfully, it's not a, a life-threatening uh, disability. And it's not like a disease. And that's something that I wanted to clarify to people, as well as drawing a little bit of a motiva- motivational aspect to it about my life and how how much of an impact my life could have on people, but how much of a, an impact my story could have 
to other other individuals as well, right? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, your story and your journey. So tell us what that was like. Like I am from Nigeria. I was born in Canada, but um, I spent the early years of my life in Nigeria. So I have some picture around how persons with special needs live in Nigeria. And I'm not sure how that is for you in Mexico. So can you share a little bit about how, you know, how, how, how that was? You know, our city in Monterey is actually one of the be- one of the best infrastructure cities in Latin America. Okay. But still, because it's still part of Mexico and it's a city in Mexico, it still doesn't have the infrastructure that Canada or even North, even the U.S. has in their in their actual countries, right? So when I when I was living in Monterey, it was in in the, in the early '80s. For me, it was like there was not enough infrastructure and you really had to fight for to have a better life because there was no places to take a ramp. I was talking to my mom the other day, uh, reminding me about some stories about my life. And she's like, you remember when people used to park in the accessible parking stall in Mexico, how Hmm. they don't have a disability and they park. But they park there anyway. They park there anyways. So you have to still walk a couple of like longer miles away for the, for the store so there was a point that in order for us to fight and do the awareness part of it for people we used to get out of the car like my mom used to drop drop me off get out of the car and she said go stand up in the front of the mall door and just show people that you actually have crutches for the other person who's coming out of the of the accessible store doesn't have that and he just walking normally right so we wanted to teach that lesson and be like hey look at me how i am and and how I'm able to use this stall, but I'm not able to use it because you're already parked there, right? So that is we, so important. It is very important to teach that to people. So Mexico didn't have that, or at least Monterey, even though we had a really good, like somewhat of a good infrastructure and compared to other cities, they didn't have the actual education and the awareness to know, hey, you know what? I'm able to walk. I don't want to park there because there might be somebody like Carlos who needs it there yeah. and actually get out of the vehicle easier to go to the door easier, right? So, and we started to realize that it was important. Also, the physiotherapy part of it, for people who have cerebral palsy, which is a disability that affects muscle and, and body movement, it affects really, uh, you need to have a lot of physio. The important part for me is that physiotherapy is huge in individual with cerebral palsy, right? So we realized that the physiotherapy in the 80s and the public sector was not as great as the private sector. The private sector, but yeah. I don't know how it is in Nigeria on those era and now, but the public sector could be free in Mexico or lower cost in compared to the private sector, it yes. would be a higher cost, right? So your parents were, or like my parents, for example, they had to really invest a lot in themselves, not only financially, but even physically and psychologically to be able to to spend some time with me going on physio for 15 years from, wow. from age two to age, like from age one actually to age 15 uh, to go to physio. And in order for me to go to physio, we started to go to different places first. And then we came back into a private physiotherapist, mm-hmm. which it ended up shaping me to the person that I am today. And I actually th- 
thank her very much for what she has done. Of course, uh, you for know, all those years, right? Yes, of course. Like I think without having that support from your parents and your family, it would be so difficult. And that's why we're having this conversation today, talking about supporting persons with special needs and specifically cerebral palsy is what we're talking about today. And I feel like many times we don't stop to think. You started out talking about the parking lot situation and that's huge. Like even over here, every now and then there are dumb people out there who go park in, you know, handicap parking as it's called. And you know, you don't have the sticker, but you park there anyway. But mm -hmm. here, you know, the good thing is that the system works. Whereas your mom had to make you go stand in the store and say, look, I actually physically need this spot. Mm -hmm. Right over here, if you are parking without a sticker, you get a ticket and it's a huge a ticket, ticket. <laughs> a nice fat ticket that will make sure that the next time you want to park there, you think again, you know, so I think that this is so important that you started with that situation. And I hope that our listeners who will listen in today, if you're one of those kinds of people, you need to think about Carlos and so many other Carlos out there who mm -hmm. really need our support. And it's not sometimes about financial support, it's about things like this, just everyday things that sometimes we take for granted. When we educate ourselves, we stop and think we should be able to positively change our behavior. And that's what mm -hmm. we're talking about today by, you know, raising awareness. So Carlos, talk to tell me a little bit more about the type of cerebral palsy that you have. So in doing my research, getting ready for this conversation, mm -hmm. I found that there's four main types of, uh, of cerebral palsy. However, maybe you can tell us what you have um, and maybe just general background and understanding about cerebral palsy that we should know. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that question as well. When I was actually reading about it, I, I know a lot about cerebral palsy because I've been doing a lot of research into it after I do my presentations and kind of do the awareness to people. My cerebral palsy is actually the, the most common one, which is the spastic cerebral palsy. As you said, there's four types. There's spastic, there's ataxic, and there's kinetic, and there's also this kinetic one, and there's also a mixed one. So you can have mix between uh, toxic, spastic, spastic, and this kinetic. But the most common one, if you look at anybody who's listening to this podcast, if they look at the internet, you realize that 80% to 90% of the individuals who are born with cerebral palsy, they're born with spastic cerebral palsy, which is what uh, I have. So okay. now the difference with the spastic cerebral palsy and this kinetic cerebral palsy, and as well as the toxic, is that the spastic cerebral palsy is like you're always tense. So, for example, when I get nervous, I'm not nervous right now, but when I get nervous, I get really tight in my like boxing cords, okay. like really tense, right? Even even an individual without cerebral palsy, like yourself or somebody else who doesn't have cerebral palsy or any disabilities, you get tense outside uh, when there's like minus 30 weather, right? Oh, yeah. So, so oh, when yeah. I go outside and it's minus 30 weather, it's double to triple the tense amount because I'm already tense enough all the time that my muscles are tense all the time because of the spastic that I have. So sometimes when I describe what I, the cerebral palsy that I have, like I said a little bit ago, cerebral palsy is a disability that affects muscle and body body movements, right? So when I'm when I'm sometimes when I wake up, uh, I can even feel like I am seventy to eighty years old. Wow! And and you know and and take me a little bit of time to walk. And sometimes I wake up and I feel like I'm fifteen again, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's the spastic cerebral palsy can 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 do that to you. And people might say to me, "Well, it's 
that's why you needed to do physio. Yes, you yes. can do physio, but because of the spastic situation, you never know what what you're going to feel the next day, right? So the dyskinetic one is involuntary movement. So people can have involuntary movements. People okay. can have uh, loose muscles. Like, for example, mine will be tense, but some other people can have a little bit of a weakened weaken, weaken muscles, right? Okay. A lot of people compare dyskinetic cerebral palsy with, with uh, muscular dystrophy, which is a disease, is not a disability. The muscular oh, dystrophy... Okay actually deteriorates you end up getting worse and worse over time cerebral palsy you never it's the same all the time you never get worse because it is just a disability it is not a disease a lot of people when they look at me they go do you have muscular dystrophy and i'm like no i don't i have cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. there's a difference There's a complete difference. The dyskinetic cerebral palsy could be the same. And same with the ataxic one. The ataxic could be like, again, a combination of of losing muscles and a combination of tightened and distightened muscles, like not tight enough. And then you have the mixed one, which is a combination of of all three, one together, you know, spastic, dyskinetic, and ataxic. What I want people to understand is that Cerebral palsy is so big and so spectrum that people it's, it's people a spectrum they cannot, disorder. Exactly. Yeah. They can they cannot see it. You know, they cannot see it sometimes. Like we we saw a client who had cerebral palsy only in his pinky finger. So if he had it hidden in his pocket, you wouldn't even know uh, that oh. he had it. It's so broad, the diagnosis is so broad that sometimes people get so confused about it. So that's why we're doing all this this teaching of absolutely. what cerebral palsy is, right? is. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to just piggyback off that and just let our listeners know that we're not here to diagnose anyone. We're just no. talking strictly from a place of education and mm-hmm. teaching, just like Carlos have said, because this is something that impacts us. This is something that we're passionate about. So we're just sharing information. If you feel like you have cerebral palsy or something else, just make sure you go see your medical practitioner, just go see your personal doctor, right? So just want to say that and put it out there. So Carlos, I know that you work. So you are a supervisor and a community education coordinator here in our city in Edmonton. So tell us a little bit about what you do and why you chose that profession, why you went into that. You know, uh, when I first um, started with cerebral palsy, which it was almost 11 years ago, in September it will be 11 years ago, I didn't realize that I was going to go into that, that partic- this particular organization, uh, Cerebral Palsy Alberta, which is where I, where I work. But I always wanted to serve. I always wanted to give myself to people. Uh, for me, serving is an absolutely amazing gift, whether you're yes. doing it with your, with your boys, whether you're doing you're doing physically you're changing people's life or whether you're doing it by just being there for somebody you're you're helping somebody you're serving somebody so for me it has always been even when i was a kid to when i was 14 uh, i think between 11 to 14 i started to teach catechism at home uh to little kids you know in little towns in mexico and catechism is catechism that's catholic yeah it's it's like a Bible study. Basically. Bible study like, in Catholic like, churches. Like, okay. Like Catholic, I recognize Catholic, that. Yeah. Catholic churches, right? So okay. I started to teach that to kids. So that part of serving came up to me through the through the years, and I started to realize, okay, this is where I want to go, uh, particularly. So what happened was when I was in university, I started with a 
major in English, actually, and, and a minor in communications, I realized that that wasn't the way I wanted to go because I wanted to continue serving, but English wasn't going to give me the aspect of serving. So I took a, a humanitarian degree, which it was a social science degree, to kind of understand society, understand uh, the social aspect of people. And I kept my communication my back minor into university. Uh, so I decided to continue to go into that serving aspect. So what happened when I went to university, I had the opportunity to go to Honduras uh, to, to be a translator uh, for a water project for a community that needed some water in Honduras. Uh, we went there for a whole month. So I remember all that part of serving continue going on into my life. So I, I finished up graduating university and then I went into cerebral palsy Alberta. When, when I first came along to work with cerebral palsy Alberta, I was really afraid of working for cerebral palsy Alberta, but that was on me, that wasn't on them. That was on me because I thought, okay, I know a lot about cerebral palsy already. I know how it works. I live with it. I don't really need to know more about it. And it's going to put me down. That's what I thought at first. Ah, so that was but, the fear. Okay. Yeah, that, that was my fear of like going there, kind of what's going to happen if I see other people with a disability? What's going to happen if I'm not able to kind of express myself or, or, or if I'm going to be put down in a sense on my own? I remember after I consulted with my parents and actually I consulted with myself and, and you know, when you go to bed, you sometimes kind of, of course, about, <laughs> you have a conversation think, with yourself. Exactly. Self, you, know, you need to be ready for this job. <laughs> exactly. You need yes. to be like, should you be ready? You need to be ready. You need to give an mm -hmm. opportunity to it. So I decided to do that. I decided to give it an opportunity and it has been the best decision I ever made because wow. I realized I needed to learn more about my disability and that's when I realized that we needed to make sure that our stories was huge. Uh, not only uh, persons with other disabilities, but persons with disabilities, their stories are, are phenomenally huge. So I started in the call center with cerebral palsy. I started as a telephone rep, and then I went on into becoming a supervisor, kind of supervising uh, a full body of people, uh, wow. which which interestingly enough, uh, our call center was actually 90% of the individuals who were in the call center had some sort of a disability at the time that I was That's a supervisor, amazing. right? Wow. So you started to realize that not only cerebral palsy, Alberta advocates for a life without limits or even a, a better enriching the life for individuals with disabilities, but it also gives them the opportunity to um, have an employment. Right to have an employment here in Canada, which which is it's it's a big it's a big thing for me. And then from then on, Cerebral Palsy realized that I wanted to be a spokesperson for for persons with disabilities, basically kind of sharing my story. Um, a couple of years back, before I actually moved into community education coordinator, uh, our our programs coordinator at the time who later became a programs manager, was doing uh, presentations in schools and presentations in, in businesses and presentations everywhere, basically. So I decided to be, be as spokesperson as I am. I decided to speak up and say, hey, I wanna 
share my story, but I also want to teach people that they can share their stories as well. So I want to kind of join into the disability awareness presentation aspect. So my friend who started the disability presentations a year before says, hey, do you want to come in and kind of see how I do the presentations, kind of grow into it, kind of see what you what you learn from it, share your story, because I believe your story is amazing. I started to talk to her about my story. Her name is Kimberly, she's amazing. And she, um, she started to, to, to learn from my story. And then we started to, to kind of grow as, as a team. And then after that, she moved on into a different direction from our organization to do other stuff. She had to do other, uh, other job uh, that she did to a, on a different job. And then she came back to her organization again. Oh, and wow. before she came back, she said, I believe you can do the presentations. And so I started to take on the full presentations aspect to kind of to teach people about the disability awareness, but also include my life experience and my, my job experience. So I started to grow that way. And after that, that's where Leah came along, which you met Leah over. Yes, and shout Leah. out to Leah for connecting and, us. Yeah, thank Leah's, you. Leah's amazing. Uh, yes, she, she came is. along about two years after uh, I started. About, I started in 2010. She came along in 2013, I believe. And that's when okay. we uh, we started to connect. We, me and Leah have a, a absolutely huge connection with each other uh, as co-worker and as friends. <laughs> and we started to shape up a little more mostly in the past couple of years to shape up a little more what we what we want to do with our with the presentation and and now the podcast as well right yeah Beautiful. wow that's amazing thank you so much for sharing that so i want us to talk a little bit more about employment and how we can support persons who have cerebral palsy who want to work but maybe for whatever reason, they're afraid to work. I know you talked about fear, accepting a position within mm -hmm. Cerebral Palsy Alberta, but maybe they just are just afraid to even venture into working period or volunteering or something else. Maybe there's something you're passionate about, I don't know, painting, whatever, mm -hmm. but they just haven't gotten that courage to do it yet. And I know there's a lot of stigma and stereotype attached when one has a disability. So I want us to talk about that a little bit. How can we, what can we say to these individuals living with disabilities who want to do more, but haven't quite summoned up the courage to do it yet? Sometimes it's hard when you have a disability to put yourself out there, to kind of look into, into employment, to kind of say, am I going to be good enough for what I'm required to do? Uh, it's challenging also. It is. it is very, very challenging yes. for a person with disabilities. However, I believe that most persons with disabilities, and I can tell you this for experience, most persons with disabilities want to work. They're eager to work. In fact, and statistically speaking, if you hire a person with disabilities, if an employer hire a person with disabilities, mm -hmm. I, I know for a fact that they will miss less time at work than an individual who doesn't have a disability because yes. they're so eager to work and they're so eager to show the employer how good they are at their job or that they can do their job yeah. so that then they actually 
they actually work hard to. They probably to work harder too. I I feel like there is also that desire to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm at the same level as the other person without a disability. So there's that eagerness that they want to go over and beyond, and they do go over and beyond just to show that I am ready to be here. You know, I am valuable, and I can be here, and I can do it. Absolutely, and I think that. A lot of persons with disabilities might feel like employers might not give them the opportunity to work, right? And for me, it's important to say to people in your channel and in different ways of what we're doing is: if you have a disability, whatever disability you have, but you're able to work somehow, like whether it's with your wheelchair, whether it's using crutches, like myself, or using a walker. Give yourself a chance to prove yourself that you can do it, because、okay. I guarantee you that they will be able to do it. If you show the employer that you can do the same task that a person without a disability could do, they might take them a little bit of time, you know, to to do it, but you can do it. Employer will give you the opportunity, or they should give you the opportunity. If the oppor- if the employer doesn't give you the opportunity, then then that that will be some sort of dis- Discrimination, right? Yes, is, it is. Which is something that could happen too. If people think that in Canada it doesn't happen, but it could happen. It could. It can easily happen. And I think that most of the employers nowadays, because of the news and social media nowadays, social media, the, the, yes, the, the, we started to realize a person with a disability can do what a normal、uh, a person without a disability can do as well. So we need to give them that opportunity as well. We need to give them that. Advantage. Now, the other thing that I can touch to your question is that if you look at all the job postings out there nowadays, a lot of the job posting goes, "Oh, the environment is fast-paced. You need to be doing fast-paced stuff." A lot of person with disabilities might be a little bit not intimidated, but might be a little hesitant to say, "Am I going to be able to even give her a try, or should I give her a try to this particular job?" If they're asking me to do fast-paced, I, for example, know that I can do a fast-paced job, but it might take me it might take me a little longer than you would do it, EJ, the same position, right? But I can do it as well or as much well done as you do it, taking my time to do it, right? So that's the part that I like to talk to the the disability community saying. Despite of that little aspect on the description that says fast pace, give it a try because you might not know. You might be able to impress the employer, and the employer will say, "Oh, you know what? This guy is actually really, really good,、mm-hmm. and I want to keep him, keep him higher." That's why there's a three-month probation in in most of the jobs. So、yes. I think that if you're applying for for jobs, you know, if you're looking as an employer point of view. You need to be like, okay, this guy has good credentials. I'm gonna give him a try for three months and see how he does. And then if he does really well, then okay, I'm gonna hire him fully, right? So I think as a person with a disability, you just need to try it. You just need to, to kind of make a feel for yourself, look deeply into yourself, you know. Put yourself say, out there,、yeah. exactly, and put yourself out there and say, I can do it. I, I'm, I'm trusting myself that I can do it, and I need to show that. To the employer.
Yeah, thank you. And you've asked, started answering the next question I had, which is what employers can do as well. And I think you've started to say that. So first of all, we need to put ourselves out there. And then next thing is employers need to make that opportunities available and mm-hmm. think about ways that maybe systemic discrimination might be there in the language of job postings, in the way jobs are presented, right? In the opportunities that are given. I think Mm -hmm. those are so huge because I never thought about this fast space, fast pace that you just talked about right now, because that's so true. I think every single job I've applied to uses the word fast pace, but you're not literally running in the job or anything. Like it's not a sprint, you know, marathon or whatever. So like, it's just you sitting down on your decks and being able to produce the work at the, you know, due dates or before the due dates or whatever deliverable Mm -hmm. time. So we just need to be careful that we're not eliminating people the way we are running our organizational businesses, because that's a huge one that I just took away. Anything else that you could say to employers? And this could also be employers in our home countries, because I'm thinking about our home countries as okay. well. Because I know here in Canada, there's tons of opportunity for persons with special needs. Of course, they still face challenges with getting mm-hmm. employed. But I mm-hmm. feel for those of us coming from a different country, Um, I want our conversation to focus on those people as well. I personally think, and this is not something that I want people, employers in Africa or people in Mexico to feel like that I'm pointing fingers at them. But I personally think that employers need to educate themselves a little more on how a person with a disability can succeed and can make a living for himself, but he can actually... Uh, improve the company itself because a lot of places in Africa and a lot of a lot of cities in Mexico, they have the excuse of oh we don't have the resources or we don't have the finances to be able to to give the the opportunity to an individual with disabilities. But sometimes the individual with disabilities in the world, like in Mexico or somewhere in Africa, they are just looking for an opportunity. They're just looking for an opportunity to grow because even volunteer jobs at your own countries can help help out develop a person with a disability to grow as well, right? And and you need to, because if, if you let me share this story to you in Mexico, my mom used to say, I don't understand why this person is working. Don't get me wrong. Starbucks is amazing. But she said, I don't understand why this person with a disability is working in Starbucks when he can be working for General Electric, for example, right? Or something like that. So what happens is you need to give as a country, you as an employer, you need to give the opportunity to a person even to let them volunteer for a while to kind of to see their experience. This is what we can do or what I can do as a, as a person for your company. And maybe if he volunteers, I don't know, two, three, four months, and after you see that he's done an amazing job and has proven to the company that can help the company grow, mm-hmm. then give him the opportunity to be hired, right? Like we're not looking into... I just want employers to know that we deserve the same opportunity as everybody else. Yes, right? 100%. And, and even in, in, in countries like Nigeria, in cities like in Mexico, like Monterey and other cities, we we, we deserve that opportunity because we, we will give our 100, 100% as an individual with a disability to work. So I just wanted to, to, to for them to do that. Uh, 
and and the whole aspect of uh, we don't have the infrastructure, so I don't want to hire oh, yes. a person with disability. I can understand when they say I don't have the facilities and I don't have the the finances. But if I go back to them and say, you're telling me that you don't have the finances, that you don't have the facilities, I can guarantee you that if you do dig deeply, if you scrap deeply, you will find funding to be able to improve your facility and to be able to put a ramp or to be able to put an elevator or to be able to put something that could improve a person with disabilities. What if the person with disabilities that you're hiring could can increase your finances resources mm-hmm. to triple triple the amount so you can make you can make what you spend on the infrastructure in less than a year or Absolutely. a year and a half right mm-hmm. so it's not it's for me that's the biggest excuse that an employer can use in those type of countries because they're like I don't want to go with the hassle because for a lot yeah. of the employers it's hassle. a hassle to, to put a better access on a parking lot or situations like that, that they can improve, that, that they can easily do it, but they don't want to do it because it's harder for them to yeah. do. It's harder for them to do, yeah. but you, you know what? It's not hard. They just have to really realize that we are here for a reason and we can give you the same quality of finances that you need and who knows? Maybe we can give it to you in a triple, like, in yeah, a, more in a quicker time, in a triple uh, time, or even more in quantity-wise. So give yeah. give the opportunity and don't put those excuses. Because for me, those are excuses. Yeah, you can say if you are an employer who says, okay, well, I don't have an opportunity for you right now, but we are looking into improving our facilities so then we can put. Uh, automatic doors, we can put an elevator, we can put a ramp, and we can put open spaces into the parking lot bigger for you to go in, in about, I don't know, six months to a year. I will make sure to call you once it's done. Then the person will feel like, okay, then I can maybe go volunteer for six months or something, and or continue to look for another job. But at least this company is already telling me- It's doing something. It's yeah. doing something for, not only for me, but for the future of the of of other persons with disabilities who might want to work there, right? So I think it's huge to make under make employers or even owners understand that it's important to create a facility inclusion to persons with disabilities. Right? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's huge, and I think every country, if you look deeply, they will have money for for creating a space like that yeah 100 percent. i i couldn't agree more that's i think that's huge and well said so what i want to do is just go back a little bit to when you were in school so can you share just a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced when you were going to school and then um, how you overcame some of those challenges to support people who are students right now and living with disabilities I went to school, like I went to school here and then I went to school in Mexico, right? In Mexico, infrastructure in the school wise wasn't the same as it is here. So the biggest challenge that I had in school was at first was to go into the teachers and say, hey, instead of moving 
from because we used to be we used to have to go for different classes to different classrooms okay. upstairs downstairs up into oh, the yeah. third floor up into the second That's floor up into the yes. so i was like as my parents they will go to the to the principal office and say hey you know what my son cannot be climbing stairs all over the place either you do two yeah. things either climb the stairs or you put an elevator what other resolution you will have and they will go okay what if they don't have to move from classrooms and they just stay or or if they move from classrooms they the will same just level stay, they will just stay in the same level right? yeah and i'm like okay well that's something that will work out for me so yes. i in mexico i went from classroom to classroom but they were always in the same level and actually for that teachers actually realized they were more conscious about that about my disability and how important it was to have a ramp how important it was to have you know access for persons with disabilities and being mm -hmm. more considerate so for me those are the challenges that now i tell people what to do you know when i go to schools i'm like make sure that you make accessibility for individuals with disabilities because it's hard i thankfully had at the time when I was in school, I had a walker, right? So I had to walk with a walker. But I cannot imagine my life if I would have had a wheelchair, for example, who, you know, yeah. moving around. And then if you're not, if you even if you have to get up one step, one single step. One single you, step, Carlos. It, it, it ain't going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Uh -uh. For a person in a wheelchair, they won't, no. they won't be able to do it. So no, I, no. Used to tell, I used to tell them, try to put the classrooms in one floor, but they will be plain, completely plain, yeah. don't have steps, because then a person with a wheelchair wouldn't be able to do it. I thankfully was able to do it because I had a walker and then I had crutches, so I was able to get up that step. But what if I didn't, right? So exactly. I, yeah. I, that was the biggest challenge that I went through school. And then the other thing, the other, the other difference that I saw here in Canada and compared to Mexico is in Mexico, they and in, in my earlier elementary years they didn't have like you you need more time for tests we're going to put you on more time for tests or, uh, or okay. in a different classroom and in mexico you you were like the same class like the same time as everybody else the same time as every student uh, you didn't have any special treatment per se right or special um, so it wasn't modified for persons with special needs. So you, so if the exam not. was one hour, you got one hour. I only got one hour. Wow. The exam was one hour. I only had one hour. The exam was an hour and a half. I only have an hour and a half. And in a way, that was wow. something that I appreciated because that means that to me, and this is something I want to make clear in your in your channel here in your podcast here. To me, it's important to treat as a, an individual. Uh, in school, in employment, as normal as you sh uh, as everybody else. My school said it to me, and I actually agree on it. I said, she said, I'm not going to give you more time because I want to treat you as normal as everybody else. You want to be treated as normal as everybody else? I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that, right? Now, I understand when I came to Canada that there were some students who really needed more time to write an exam. Yes. And, and even, even in Canada, I had challenges and I'm gonna tell you why. When I went to university, 
I don't know if you had this this if you came across this situation. Students who have a disability who are not able to write by hand, they have an inscribers person yes. who can go to class who can scribe for yes. you. And I think those person got, or at least in my university, they got some compensation financially or something like that. So see, they had that. But for me, being an international student. I couldn't. Oh, I you were couldn't. an international student. I was an international oh. student when I first came to Canada. I was not born in Canada. I was born in Mexico, right? When I came to Canada, I came with a student permit. So what I did, I'm always being very tenacious and very, I don't give up on situations. So what I did is I, I grabbed somebody from the class. I became friends with that person. And I said, could you please photocopy your notes for me so I have them and I read my book and I read your notes and I kind of, you know, remember what the teacher says mm. and so on and so forth. So all that situation was to be able to overcome that part. So that's, a, that's a, another overcome that I did when it comes to school situation, right? So that, those type of situations in Mexico, the whole infrastructure idea teach me to be more independent. And when I came to Canada, it's like, okay, you think by being in Canada, it's easy, but it's not because describers are not available for you. So what are you going to do? So what I mentioned is I photocopy my stuff and I thankfully did it all through my years. My, I think it took me about four and a half years to five years to do my degree, four years. I got pretty good grades on it. So I was very, very excited about it. And what I did is actually I communicated with different persons from different ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, like from people. My school at King's University, where I went to, it was, there was, it was interesting because there was a huge group of people from Africa coming into university. And a lot of those people, some of those people were not able to write either because they just couldn't write it. So I used to tell them, photocopy the notes for somebody else and then use it on your test, right? If you're an international student, do it. Like, do that because you won't be able to have a scribe. So those are the challenges. And that prepared me when I came into employment. You know, if you're an employer and and a person needs, like, you have a call center and they cannot type, but they can speak, right? (laughs) While they're speaking, you can have a transcribe software who can transcribe yeah they are transcribe softwares now exactly. i had a co-worker way back when who had that so she couldn't take notes and my work involves a lot of writing so she would just speak into the app and it would write what she needs exactly so that can be a tool for a person with a disability from an employer to say hey i can use this you know to for to help this person overcome this the other big thing that I did with CPA, we, we, ne- we never really yet had to had the transcribe uh, software into some, some computer uh, during this time. But the other thing that I remind the CPA was, can we move the chairs close, standing up and having the chair like far away? There was actually an individual uh, uh, work in the call center who had a little bit of a visual that maybe she wouldn't be able to see that the see chair was well. a little yeah. bit far away from the actual desk and that person could have tripped and fall off. Yeah. It's make the, the awareness of, make sure that when you're standing up from your desk, you put your chair close, 
you know, closer to where it's supposed to be. Make sure that you don't have any furniture in the middle of the hallway, you know, and so make sure to move the away from the hallways and the person can go through. And situations like those are really important to kind of remind the employer. And, and that's what the employers can do here in Canada and even in a place such as Nigeria or somewhere in Mexico where they can be like, I actually had the opportunity in Mexico to speak to the human resources uh, department at the General Electric. And they told me, oh, okay, if you look amazing, at- That's amazing, Carlos. Thank you. If yeah. you look at the building, if you look at the building, what did the building needs? And I go, well, the building needs a ramp here. The building needs accessible doors because there are glass doors. So when you push that, I can push it because I thankfully had pushed glass doors all my life when I used to live in Mexico from uh, probably age six to age 17, I pushed glass doors. But what about a person with a wheelchair who is not able to maybe push that glass door Mm -hmm. properly? Can you put a button here? Can you make the bathroom a little bit wider for persons with wheelchairs to go in? Those are the type of recommendations that I gave to employers back at home and some recommendations that I give to employers here in Canada to, uh, at least in my organization, I have given pretty good input on some stuff that we can we can use. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Carlos. Carlos has shared with us how we can also live a fulfilled life with special needs and highlighting what we can do as individuals if we have a special need. His words are, give yourself a chance. So what is that thing that you want to do? Give it a chance, whether it's going back to school, volunteering, working, give it a chance. And I think if you, you know, give it a chance and it doesn't work out, just keep giving it a chance. Keep trying other opportunities, reaching out to people. And that's what Carlos is saying here. And for employers, also making sure that you're doing what is necessary to support persons with special needs to come work in your organization. You know, don't say it's a hassle or it's too hard, it's too difficult. We have no funding for that. What is it within your budget that you have funding for? There's got to be something. Maybe it's just having wider tables, different chairs. There has to be something that you can do within your capacity. And it's having conversations, like Carlos said, with people who have special needs, perhaps, or educators who can tell you what it is that you can do within the capacity that you have. You can start small. That's what I'm thinking. Start Mm -hmm. from what you can do within your financial capacity and then work your way there. And I think sometimes for those of us over here, you might be able to apply for funding from the government Mm -hmm. to do bigger projects the ramp that Carlos said the elevator or whatever else right okay I want you to say a little bit about your podcast because I know Mm -hmm. that you started a podcast uh, with your co-host Leah so tell us a little bit about my life without limits podcast yeah absolutely Leah started to think about having a podcast like five years ago and then we started to brainstorm together then about having a podcast and then uh thankfully between last year around august or september we started to kind of becoming uh having this podcast a reality right so it's it's my life without limits podcast is a podcast that wants to bring the stories of our persons with disabilities or people with disabilities who are out there who who want to have a platform that they can share 
they're amazing stories, right? But I also awesome. I also keep asking people that it doesn't have to be a person with a disability. I even have said people from all over the world if they want to join us or or even somewhere in Canada who who they want to use this platform to share their stories about what they went through in their own countries or here in Canada or spread the word. For, for us, it's very important to share the stories from people. For, my, for Leah and myself, it's so important to share that stories of our community. And I think that's why we started this podcast. And you can visit us at My Life Without Limits podcast on Instagram. And you can find our episode and all the platforms right now. Spotify, Apple Music, mm-hmm. Google Music, Podbean, everywhere. You can find us there. Absolutely. I did visit. I did listen, but it was amazing. You and Leah have a beautiful chemistry and I like what you guys are doing. Like you said, limits is not uh, peculiar to people who have disabilities. It is everyone. We all have different kinds of limitations that we have to go through. And then some of us overcame them and let's come to your podcast and share that story. So I'd like to encourage our listeners to make sure you check out my life without limits. Carlos is co-hosting with Leah and I'm sure you will not be disappointed. And join the conversation there on Instagram. I'll make sure to tag all that information on this episode so people can go click on it and check you out. So Carlos, we are wrapping up the conversation today. I want you to give one advice to everyone who'll be listening today. I would just like to say two words, just be humble and be as much tenacious as you can, Uh, but remain humble. Don't give up. That's part of the things. Don't give up ever and continue to to fulfill your your goal. Thank you so much, Carlos. Tenacity is huge, 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 huge. I will take that as well. And I hope that everyone listening today will also take this home and implement it. So it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Carlos. Thank you, EJ, for having me. It's It's been an absolute delight and pleasure to be here. Today's conversation was also recorded by video. Please check it out on YouTube. And also, please consider subscribing at Unfiltered Real Talk Podcast. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to the very end of this conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it and I truly hope that inspired you. If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider rating wherever you listen and connect with me on social media with what you enjoyed or maybe something that you did not enjoy that you would like to see in another conversation. So connect with me with a comment and your feedback. Let's keep continuing to do and inspiring to do what is right and kind. I'll see you in the next episode.